Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, Ken Weeb of Sportsnet stops by as we chat about this Jets break that seems to be going on forever and whether there'll be a point where it's just too long. We want round two to start, or at least I do. Also, the French Open begins this weekend. We'll tee up the action with Tennis Manitoba's Mark Arndt on the podcast. We welcome in Ken Weeb, Sportsnet.ca. You can find his work. Ken, how are you doing tonight? Christian, I'm excellent, thank you. Uh, how about yourself? I'm doing well. When did you go to bed Tuesday morning? Uh, we finished the show at 3.35 a.m. Uh, I got home at 4.10, and I think I fell asleep somewhere around 5.15-ish. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, the Kenny and Rennie. Kenny and Lenny. What is it? Kenny and Rennie? Rennie, you got, you got it. Yeah, <laughs> Kenny, Kenny and, and Rennie, Rennie yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's a good show to watch for sure when you're not listening to the CGOB Sports Show. Uh, I was in bed, I think, at 3. I didn't have the the obligations. We were quick to wrap the postgame show because Kelly Moore wanted to go to bed. So, uh, well, smart call was, on that front. How how long do you think it would take? for? And we, this, we've, we've heard the players talk about this to some degree this week, but how long do you think it would take someone coming off uh, playing that much hockey, the adrenaline of winning a playoff series, to wind down and fall asleep? Yeah, no doubt. I think it was probably, we just talked with Josh Morrissey this afternoon, and he said it was probably, I think, somewhere in the, I think, between the 4.30 and 5.30 hour as well. And Yeah, it just, it's, you have that exhaustion, but you also have that jubilation, right? I mean, and the exhilaration, so uh, certainly tough, and I guess, too, I mean, these guys are, you know, eating and hydrating between periods, so it would be hard to wind down after all that, despite being probably absolutely exhausted from playing six periods, but... Uh, quite quite a week and quite a night that was game four, no doubt about that. Uh, quite a quite a display by both teams, and you know especially Darnell Nurse uh, going 62 minutes, but I mean Josh Morrissey going 42, and I think the Jets had three other players either at 39 or 40 or higher. So just an incredible display of hockey by both teams. And now we we wait, and it's going to be at least a few more days because Montreal beat Toronto yesterday. So I would think at least Tuesday we're going to have to wait to see. The Jets play whoever it is, and if it is Tuesday, it would be Toronto. What do you think they're thinking right now about that series and how long it's going to go? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I think after they've gotten back kind of up to speed here in the last couple of days of practice, I think a break is nice for the Jets for sure in a lot of regards, but I think they'd probably prefer to get going on Monday rather than waiting for a Game 7 and maybe having to wait until Tuesday or Wednesday. I guess I mean, the schedule's still up in the air and in flux for sure, but... Uh, I think it, the the rest will provide a lot of a boost, though. I mean, especially for a guy like Nikolai Ehlers, who came back from injury in that series, playing the last two games, and then having to go essentially play three games over two days. So, And a guy like Dubois came back in game two, and you know you have a 34-year-old captain who had an excellent series. But definitely nice for those guys like Wheeler and Stastny to have a chance to recharge their batteries after what was a taxing series, even though it was a four-game sweep. And then for a guy like Hellebuck, right? I mean, Hellebuck loves the rhythm, but if you're the busiest goalie in the NHL and he, he had a lot of work, we know, against the Oilers, I think that that break will certainly serve him well going into round two as well. Yeah, the reason I said Tuesday was just because I thought Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, they, you know, your well, employer would love to have a hockey night in Canada. Still could, <laughs> it still could be that, I guess. But I think there's an outside chance of Monday, but we'll see what the next day or two brings here. Right, yeah. So uh, you personally... Uh, from a perspective of finding things to write about, will there come a point if it, if the Jets have to wait till next Wednesday to play a game? Will there come a point where we run out of things to talk about? 
<laughs> I don't think so. I think any any chance any time a team gets to the second round, I think you you can certainly find something to write about. But the uh, the freshness of the ideas, I think, will will be tested if the uh, Canadians and Leafs go seven full games. I think there's no doubt about that. But certainly there were quite a few moments to discuss. And as you know, there's always uh, roster decisions or line combinations or power play units to discuss. So uh, I think that the uh, the bag of ideas is, is not quite, I wouldn't even say it's half empty yet. So I think the, the writers uh, and the commentators will survive a few more days. But I think... The other part of it too is you know you want to you want to see games being played like tonight. I mean it's a Friday night game seven happening, as you touched on off the top. I mean I think everyone was kind of wondering if Max Pacioretty would magically appear out of the tunnel and lo and behold there he is. So uh, the playoffs have been super exciting so far and uh, always more exciting when games are being played than practices are being held. And on the topic of Vegas, Ken, how happy must the NHL be that? In the four years of the Golden Knights' existence, they have a cup finals appearance, a crazy game seven that ended up changing a rule about how major penalties are assessed. <laughs> they, in the bubble, make the conference final and almost got Demcoed last year. And here they are again, third straight year they've blown a 3-1 series lead and end up in a game seven. Nothing but eventful first four years for this team in the playoffs. Yeah, high drama. And, uh, you know, you want to call it a Hollywood script, but it's happening in, in Sin City, so... Uh, certainly a little bit more excitement in that series than most probably would have expected. But, man, speaking of Manitoba Connections, uh, Dean Evison has just done a fabulous job with the Minnesota Wild behind that bench. Uh, obviously, Kirill Kaprizov has really given them a boost. But, I mean, they're a, really, they're a fun team to watch, and we haven't really said that a lot about the Minnesota Wild the last few years. Yes, they're still very defensively structured, but they have a little bit more offense to their game, and uh, they play a physical style, and they've made life difficult, as you touched on. The, the Golden Knights have a l- ample talent, but they've had trouble scoring goals. Pacioretty should help them, but they're going to need some activation from the back end. Shea Theodore is a guy who really drives the offense with Vegas, and that hasn't really been happening as much in this series. And we know Alex Petrangelo was the big offseason target. He's going to need to have a big game seven and uh, look no further than Mark Stone. Mark Stone is going to have to lead the way in order for Vegas to advance, and I expect that they will, even though it'll be a tight game again tonight. And Minnesota played Vegas tough all season, and it was uh, one that I think some people thought might be a tougher series for Vegas. We, we all want to see, I think, Colorado versus Vegas and what that second-round series will look like. It does start on Sunday, Colorado versus whoever wins that. Uh, while we're talking hockey, might as well talk the other two series. We know we're already locked in, Ken. Boston right. and Islanders get going tomorrow. Looks like the Bruins are the heavy favorites from what I'm reading so far. Uh, Bruins took care of Washington 4-1. They're... I think they're the hottest team in hockey right now with Taylor Hall coming in, Tuka Rask playing well. I personally believe it's going to be pretty tough for the Islanders to win. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's fair to say Boston's favorite, and Taylor Hall has really given that second line a real shot in the arm. But I don't sleep on the Islanders. I mean, Barry Trotz, I think, what, is this his seventh year in a row that he has won at least one series in the Stanley Cup playoffs? It, It is really impressive for sure. And I think Matthew Barzell is a guy that is on the verge of breaking out. I think he had a lot of scoring chances in that series, but really didn't get himself kind of untracked, if you will. Brock Nelson is playing great. And uh, Ryan Pollock, uh, the former Brandon Weekings captain, has just had a fabulous playoff so far with Matt Pollock on that first pairing for the Islanders. So I, th- I think it'll be low scoring, but I do I do think that the Islanders have the potential of having an upset there, but I mean, for sure, Boston would be favored based on the 
you know, the perfection line and what they've been able to do this year. But I think it'll be a tighter series than many suspect. And Carolina-Tampa Bay, the Central Division title, that is a series. I know it's two non-traditional markets, but I think the hockey is going to be awesome in that series. Yeah, I, I concur, uh, Christian. There's no doubt. Uh, I think that Carolina is a team that almost always flies under the radar. Rob, Rod Brindemore has done a fabulous job as head coach. They've got uh, probably one of the best defense cores in hockey. Um, you know, Dougie Hamilton had had a quiet series. What does he do? Scores the tying goal in the third yesterday. And uh, Jacob Slavin with the shot that it was redirected home by Sebastian Ajo for the series clincher in, in overtime. Uh, and they've got some kind of unheralded guys on that team, but they'll be tough. But for me, I think it'll be a tight series, but I think Tampa just has a little bit more depth still. And, I mean, for me, the X factor is going to be Vasilevsky between the pipes. And I think that's a series that goes seven, and I think it may impede Tampa Bay's ability to defend their title, but I do think they will be on to round three in, in what may be uh, – it'll be one of the best series. But, I mean, we also would all anticipate Colorado-Vegas uh, as being a fantastic uh, series as well. If it happens. Right. And I think either way, I think we think Colorado's the favorite right now. Yeah, they're the favorite. But, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to abandon my, my pick of the Golden Knights uh, just yet. But I, I may have no choice after tonight. But I expect that they'll – this is one of those things for me that much like – I mean, again, it's obviously different situations. But much how the Jets were able to turn their late season struggles into something to, to rally around. If Vegas is able to win a Game 7 – on home ice, I think that would be one of those galvanizing moments that would help give them a bit of momentum against Colorado. Obviously, Colorado is playing at an exceptional level right now, but I think that they're a little bit more playoff tested when you come to the Golden Knights. So I think it'll be a really good series. And I mean, Grubauer has had a great year, but there are always seem to be question marks about whether or not the Avalanche goaltending can hold up in a in a lengthy playoff run. And until Grubauer uh, proves that otherwise, that narrative will continue to be out there. Well, the thing I always look at Colorado is last year they had so many injuries, they had yeah. no goalies, and they still went to overtime of Game 7 of the second round totally of the playoffs fair. to Dallas. So I, until they're, they're out, I'm going to think they're going to win. Uh, before I let you go, Ken, let's just touch briefly on the Habs and Leafs here. The, the Toronto Maple Leafs have had many chances to win playoff series over the last five or six years, and it was uh, a chance to win last night. Didn't get it done. Do you think there's pressure there in that locker room because they've lost a bunch of Game 7s to Boston, the Game 5 last year to Columbus, winner-take-all games. They haven't been able to finish it off. Is there pressure, or are they going to go into Montreal in front of a couple thousand fans and just finish it off? Well, there's certainly pressure. I mean, Sheldon Keefe acknowledged <laughs> acknowledged it the day before Game 5, I think, saying, you know, the part of the reason they hadn't won a series since 2004 kind of reiterates and reinforces how tough it is to win. I don't think that this group necessarily carries the burden of history, but the core group hasn't advanced past 2004. That That's a fact. So, of course, there's pressure on them. And, man, I, I would say it this way. If Montreal wins Game 6, I would expect them to win Game 7, but... I think the Leafs will find a way to get the series complete uh, tomorrow night. I think Mitch Marner's had a bit of a quieter series. I think he's going to come up big in Game Six. But I mean, Carey Price is the ultimate wild card, and you know those young guys, Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki, combining on a rare two-on-zero in overtime and not a, of the three-on-three variety. Maybe that's all that that team needed. The only thing the Canadians weren't doing early in the series was scoring, and suddenly they put up a four spot. So. Uh, I think it's going to be a fabulous finish to the series, and 
I'd be all for a game seven, but I expect we're going to see the Leafs uh, wrap it up on Saturday night. All right, one last quiz question for you. I golfed Kildonan today in my first round of the year. How many greens in regulation did I have? I'm going to go with six greens in regulation. Ken, I had one. Oh, okay. You had way I didn't too know much any, faith, I, I, faith in me. Well, I have a lot of faith in you. I do have to confess I don't know a lot about your game, and uh, right. we'll have to remedy that this summer. Yeah, it's, it's uh, once the it's, rules are relaxed. Of yes, course. of course, of course. Ken, appreciate that. Thanks for your time as always, and uh, hopefully we'll have a, a series to talk about next week. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me, Christian. Have a great weekend here. Sunday morning, the French Open gets underway at Roland Garros, and before every major, we always have tennis Manitoba's Mark Arndt on the show to talk about the action. And so, what are we doing now? We're having Mark on the show. Mark, how you doing? Not too bad, Christian. How are you? I'm doing well. You ready for some uh, French Open tennis just a, a couple weeks later than usual because of a, a delay in organizing? Yeah, indeed I am. I mean, I, yeah, like you said, there's there's so much uh, happening on, on TV as far as sports goes. It's a good uh, it's a good time to be a fan of sport, and uh, we can't do much else here in Manitoba, so might as well watch a little bit. Yeah, what is the can – you, can you do tennis right now or no here? I think, but only with, with members of your household. That's it. So I'll be sitting with my family watching, but I can't come over to your place and watch, so that's it. Okay. So, well, we're waiting for the time that uh, people can play tennis and watch tennis, I guess, together oh, with man. the people outside their house. I know, I know. It's coming. Yep, slowly, it's true. slowly it's coming, yes. It's true, yep. So the the French Open it on the clay in Paris, and Rafael Nadal is the three-seed on the men's side. It's the first time in forever that yeah. someone other than Murray, Nadal, Djokovic, or Federer is a top two seed at a major. Daniil Medvedev is the second yeah. seed. It is, it's uh, kind of a weird feeling to, to see that Nadal and Djokovic, if they're going to face each other, will be in the semifinal. What do you think yeah. of that? It is bizarre looking at the draw sheet and seeing Daniil Medvedev is two and Rafa down there and, and not even Federer in there or Murray, but like you said, but even Medvedev said himself, he's like, ah, this is strange for him too. So he's he's even admitting to it. So uh, I don't know having them uh, having them on the same side of the draw. Uh, I saw Djokovic's coach said, you know what, it's better if if uh, Djokovic uh, plays Nadal in the semis. Uh, it'll be better than playing him in a final. Uh, he gets better as the tournament goes on, and uh, he's very tough in finals. But he's also tough in semifinals. I don't think he's lost the semifinal at Roland Garros. So uh, there goes his theory out the window. But uh, Anyways, it's going to be interesting. I mean, it's going to give the uh, the next-gen stars, the supposed next-gen stars, they're all loaded at the bottom half of the draw. So Tsitsipas or Team or one of those guys will be in the final and against one of the top guys. I'm I'm thinking it's going to be Nadal. I mean, he's playing really well, and, and you never know what, what Djokovic also has his chance, obviously, an opportunity to do uh, to, to win again. Yes, in his career at uh, the French Open, Rafael Nadal has lost... Exactly three times. In the fourth yeah. round in 09, Robin Soderling, quarterfinals of 2015, third round 2016. That's it. He yeah. has won 13 times. So it is a, it's a hard task. Now, he has looked a little bit more vulnerable on clay leading into this tournament than he has in the past. There was a match that Dennis Shapovalov probably could have won uh, Ooh, not too long ago. And uh, Shapo's not in this tournament as we turn to the Canadian contingent. A uh, bit of a shame that he's not able to to see if he can continue that good run of play. 
Yeah, it is. You know, I was disappointed to see that, but uh, he's, he's having issues with his shoulder. So I think that uh, maybe he might know he's not going to win uh, the French and he's going to have a better chance on the, uh, on the grass courts at Wimbledon or even the hard courts uh, going for the U S open. That's his best surface. So he might be preserving himself for just some maintenance uh, uh, heading into the grass court and hard court season. So, but it is definitely uh, uh, disappointing not to have as many Canadians to watch as we do in, in slams past. I mean, we've been spoiled with the amount that we've had both on the women's side and on the men's side, but uh, uh, hopefully the others uh, will, will carry the load. Clay seems like a surface that Canadians aren't gonna aren't gonna win on. Personally, it seems like we're gonna be, uh, you know, Andreescu's got the hard court title. Raonic has shown a proficiency at Wimbledon, uh, but uh, both Felix Ojealiasim and Raonic are in the draw for the men. Canadians, Ojealiasim, the twentieth seed facing veteran Andreas Seppi in round one. He would face uh, Berrettini in the fourth round, Djokovic in the quarterfinals. Raonic is the 17th seed facing Tiago Montero in round one. He'd face Tsitsipas in round four and Medvedev in the quarterfinal. Any thought of those two going on a run? Yeah, you know, well, actually, Felix, he was groomed on the clay courts. I mean, he uh, he uh, he did bypass all the the training sessions here and the tournaments here in Canada and North America back when he was 16, 17 years old. He actually bypassed our tournament one year uh, to go and play tournaments on clay because that's what his uh, his specialty was. So don't be surprised. I, I mean, he that's his most comfortable surface is that red clay. And um, uh, he might, I mean, he's the one that I'm looking for. I think sooner or later, and I don't know, the Canadian, the Tennis Canada, the national coaches, they told me that that watch, they're, they're expecting him to win the French Open one day. So um, obviously there's luck that's involved in the draw and, and health and fitness and all of that. But it uh, looks like he's up against it this year based on the draw. But he, he'd be the guy out of anyone, out of any of the Canadians. He's who I would put my uh, money on to win the French Open out of, out of those Canadians. Roger Federer is back also. We should mention that. He hasn't played in a while, and he's the eighth seed at this tournament. Obviously, the French Open is not one he's had much success at at all. Uh, he's he's won the final once. He did not have to beat it all en route to that final. Robin Soderling did him a heavy on the way to do that yeah. in 09. Uh, do you have any expectation for him or just happy to see him back playing again? I'm happy, just like the rest of the world. I think everyone's happy to see him playing again. And and no, and I don't think he expects it himself either. He might be doing one of those, uh, it's not announced yet, but like a farewell tour. It might be the last time we see him at the French Open. And uh, I'm just happy to see him on court and just uh, appreciate when you do see him and uh, just what he means to tennis and and all of that. So it might be one or it should get through. He has a, a fairly light draw should be able to get through but again it comes down to fitness and how his body's feeling and and I know if he's uh if he's going going to be playing in a in a tough match who knows he might pull the plug on a little bit just to preserve himself for Wimbledon and not risk any, any injuries so before we turn over to the women if I ask you who you think's going to win you're going to say Nadal right um this time, no, because you you alluded oh. to it earlier. You know what? You you said it. You, you, it's not his best preparation. Yes, he he did win uh, Rome, and uh, but still, you see that there are chinks in his armor. I think, and uh, this is the year, perhaps. I think that invincibility, that that aura is is kind of sliding sliding away or fading away, and I think all the others are, are seeing it that there is an opening uh, to take. And this might be the year. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't. I know he is the favorite to come out of that side and be in the final. Uh, if he does make the final, then yes, I think he will beat one of those next-gen 
stars, those younger ones. Uh, but he has to get, he, he has it tough. I mean, getting through Djokovic, I honestly think Djokovic this time will, will beat him if they meet up in the semifinal. All right, to the women's side of the draw, we will start with uh, the Canadians, and that is Bianca Andreescu, who is the sixth seed, facing someone named Tamara Zidansek of Slovenia, could end up mm-hmm. facing Belinda Bencic in the fourth rounder, and Naomi Osaka in the quarterfinals. This is just her second main draw appearance at the French Open. Uh, she made the second round in 2019, didn't play her second round match. In fact, she's never lost on clay at the pro tour level. She's 5-0, and but she's had to withdraw a few times, including recently at an event. I guess this is, I'm starting to get the sense that this is going to be the story of Bianca Andreescu's career, where she just wins a lot when she's playing, but isn't playing much because she's hurt a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I'm not sure her latest is the uh, oblique strain, I think it was, at that last yeah, tournament. Slight so, abdominal tear, yeah. I think, is what the yeah, okay. word was. Yeah, so, I, I mean, if it was just preventative, she, she might have felt something that was probably really minor and just didn't want it to, to escalate, so she... she uh, she stopped playing that tournament, so I'm hoping that's all it is. I'm hoping everything is behind her, all the injuries. She's still very young, and uh, again, in my, yeah, as a Canadian and as a fan of Canadian tennis, you, you really hope that those injuries are behind, but uh, I think she has to, if, if they're not, I mean, she has to look at the way she's training and, and, and fitness and her trainers and maybe going with a different the different crew that, that trains her, that gives her her fitness uh, um, conditioning and all of that. So uh, the potential, like you said, oh my God, she, she's number one in the world, to be quite honest. But um, her her attitude, her mental toughness, and her shot making ability, skill set, all of the above. I mean, she has everything, as evidenced by that U.S. Open that she won in Miami and Indian Wells and all of that. But um, honestly, she does uh, she does have to stay fit. So I'm hoping that happens. All right, now there's Layla Fernandez as well, and I got the feeling that. It's only a matter of time before she makes some noise as well. She's facing Anastasia Potapova in round one, would face Madison Keys in round two, Azarenka, Sabalenka, Serena Williams. Her her draw is absolutely loaded, so I don't expect her yeah. to, to go on a run, but I think she's going to be a tough out. She's a, she's a very young player that I think has shown some proficiency, and I think her game seems pretty suited to Clay. It is. You know, it's, that's a feisty one there, too. I, I like the way... Uh, she's um, just her mental toughness. Again, we, we, we speak of that with with Andrescu, and this one is is the same. And and the fighting ability that she has, and also that her whole skill set too. That you know, the future is so bright for her, and and so far so good. Knock on wood with the with the injuries, and yeah, I like it. I mean, each each match for her is a stepping stone, and and bigger picture. Like she she's going after all after the whole thing and, and wants to break the top 10 and top five and all of that and win slam. So um, she has the makings for it. So it's, it's so exciting to be a Canadian fan at this point. Yeah. She is 18 years old, turns 19 in September. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, there are, there have always been a lot of young players in tennis. You just look at Coco Goff, right on the, on the women's sure. side of things. So the defending champ is, or defending champ is Iga Sviantec, who kind of took the French open by storm when they played it yeah. in the fall. She recently won a title over Carolina Pliskova, six oh six oh in the final, which just blew everyone away. She seemed almost unbeatable. She's not the number one seed. That's Ash Barty. Naomi Osaka's the number two seed. Who do you think's the favorite in this tournament on the women's side? Well, if you, you ask the question each time we speak, who's who's the favorite on the women's? And I always say, you know, it could be between ten and sixteen females that can win that. And 
and again, it's the same situation here. I know Halep's not there, so that that helps a little bit. But um, flip a coin. There's there's ten of them that can win, and and Shrumpik is is definitely one of the favorites, having just won it uh, recently. And uh, I'd be surprised if she doesn't go far. She's on form right now, and. But again, it, it's uh, the, the Americans that are coming too. I, there's there's just so much to choose from. So I I never I can't really answer that question because it, it's such a the parity in the women's game is unbelievable. I've never seen it like this. And and again, so I I, I can't answer. I mean, her I'll go with Shuntik because she she is a defending champion. And um, that that I'll I'll just stick by that one. I'll just stay stay with that one. I'm not sure with Osaka what she's going to do. I know that she. Uh, she pulled a plug on press conferences. I don't know what yeah. your thoughts are on that, but what do you think about that as as being on the other side of the microphone? What do you think about her pulling the plug on press conferences? Yeah, just for context for people at home that don't know, yeah. Naomi Osaka has uh, put out on Instagram that she's told the French Open she's not doing press conferences this year. She's citing uh, mental health that uh, a lot of times players are asked the same questions over and over again, and I, and she said that it can create doubt uh, yeah. when people ask you certain questions. I know a lot of people have said, "Hey, you know what? This is part of the gig when you sign up to be to be an athlete." I think part of it is, Mark, that athletes don't need the media as much as they used to. With the ability to to control their own their own message, sharing it on social media. They have these enormous enormous platforms, and Naomi Osaka mm-hmm. is perhaps the the, mo- the biggest women's athlete in the world right now. Yep. So this is a this is something that's worth watching for sure. She said she'll pay any fines. I, I personally, I'm gonna say I'm a little bit against it, just because most of these press conferences are fairly benign. That yeah. like not not much is really said in them, and maybe that's why you're they're a little annoyed by it. But if if she feels like she's in a mental space where she doesn't want to do them, I I'd like to hear her talk about it a little more, I guess. And for her to do that, she'd have to have a press conference, wouldn't she? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Exactly, but I, I still think that. I mean, without the fans, without the media, they're not where they're at. Like, I mean, sure. they're not making the money they are if we're not watching. Like, we, you know, and, and yes, I know they have their own platforms of social media where they can have their own press conference, so, so to speak. But, but still, they need, they need the media. They need us to be watching them. And, and it's just part of the job. It's just it's what you sign up for, like you said. And, and it's a bit disappointing because people want to hear what she has to say. And uh, I guess she does it in a different, uh, different avenue, I guess. But uh, it's, it's, I don't know if it's disrespectful to, to your profession and, and to, to people, her fans. But um, I don't know. I, again, we don't know what she's going through. So that's the big thing. I mean, we can easily say what we want to say, but we don't know until we're in their shoes or in her shoes. So, you know, well, she's a very unique thinker. And she's mm-hmm. you know, very outspoken on social media about uh, social justice issues. But she's also clearly a shy person when talking in front of a microphone in front of a crowd she's anxious when she has to speak to large crowds so i i do understand that that not every you know we we interact with athletes all the time and some of them are great at talking and others don't like speaking into a microphone people are like that sure. right? so yeah. uh, it's it's it is uh, an interesting thing to follow, but we're out of time, Mark. I appreciate your time, yeah. as always, and, and uh, enjoy the tennis. Uh, and it's a great thing. We can watch hockey at night, but tennis is on in the morning because yeah. it's over in France, so we can uh, watch exactly. sports all day. Mm-hmm. For sure. You too. Enjoy, and uh, thanks for having me again. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m., of course. That is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. 
We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. Which might explain